tuning in to another episode of Chirp Report. On today's episode, I'm grateful for the return of my most requested follow-up guest, and that's Heather. She joined me on episode 46 to talk about her first experience with psychedelics while coming off of psych meds. The feedback immediately began pouring in as soon as the episode dropped, with several people telling me it was the best one yet, and many others asking if or when I was planning to have her back on. Well, today is that day, and with that, Heather, thanks for coming back for round two. Um, I'm... Thank you. Um, thank you for, for anybody who, who listened to that experience and, and really resonated with it. You know, I'm just telling like what happened to me and it feels good that it was meaningful and impactful to, to others. So thanks for having me and thanks for listening. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's what this podcast is for. First, before we go to the next story, I guess there's a few things I wanted to wrap up from the first one. So in your breakthrough ceremony, you said that after that five grams of mushrooms didn't have any impact that you started to hit that DMT vape pen. Do you know, was mm -hmm. that traditional DMT or was that five MEO DMT? That was in DMT. Okay. And then with that, you said when the effects kicked in that you were writhing around and, you know, releasing things. I was curious, did you have any visuals when that was happening? No. And so the, the, it's important to note that the writhing was after. Like that was after I heard the voice say she's not ready and it yanked me out of that realm. That is when that started. Okay. So um, through this whole first experience, you still don't have what you would say is like any sort of psychedelic visuals throughout that process. Right. Well, so what I had started to see, so um, what we were, what we were listening to was Spungle okay. and that was the first time I had ever heard them. And so I was hearing the words DMT, which in the moment, I didn't know if I was, if that was what the lyrics were saying, or if like, that's what I was hearing, you know, it was all very, like, I was very disoriented. Yeah. Um, and I remember at one point in time, like I looked at her plants and this must have been like before I closed my eyes and everything looked so alive and radiant because when I got done with the writhing and I'm like, I had finally like settled and could, you know, just like calmly lay on her couch. I immediately looked up at all her plants and like started crying. And I was like, I killed your plants and her and her wife, like they start laughing and they were like, no, dude, those were, those were already like on life support. <laughs> and I was like, no, they were like vibrant. She's like, where you were, they might've been vibrant and alive. She's like, in this world, like they're like close to death. And so that was really about it. Then there was like a moment she had this, it might've been an Android Jones. I could be wrong, but it was like an Alice in Wonderland. And it was like the Cheshire cat uh, with like a heart in the middle and I could see that kind of like moving. And then she had another that I, I know it's an Android Jones because I now have it in my house. And it was the woman and the man and they're looking at each other and they're both like with a head. He's like a warrior chief and she's got a headdress on and I can see the feathers. And I was I looked at her and I was like, it, it's moving. And she's like, OK, she's like, if you're seeing that breathing, that's the mushrooms. And that only lasted for maybe like 10 or 15 minutes after, maybe a, little, maybe a little bit longer, but that was it. So it was almost like for me, it feels like um, at least the story like in my head goes that the DMT cleared whatever was, whatever receptors were blocked 
um, the DMT like purged that so that the psilocybin could bond or at least like open up the channel for that bonding of those receptors. That's the only way that it makes sense to me. I would love for somebody else who's got like some, you know, scientific background or something like to to say, yeah, that's what happened or no, but um, that's at least what feels true for me. Okay, you have you just answered my next question. So I was curious if you thought that perhaps you cleared your receptors during that experience. And so I was curious, when was your next psychedelic experience? And you know what it was? Was it mushrooms? What was it? And then do you feel like you had your standard ride that was to be expected with no more SSRIs in the system? My next experience then was ketamine. Yeah, it was ketamine. So I had been on my lunch break and I was working from home that day. And I'd gone to get something down the road for lunch. And on this road, I turned and another person had turned. And the lane that they were in was ending. And they were trying to push me. They were behind me, but trying to like push me out of the way. And there was like no place to go because there was a car in front of me and then a field next to me. Mm -hmm. The next thing I know the guy pulls out a gun and he starts shooting at my car. Jesus. And so I, I call 911 uh, while we're going down this road and we pass the school where my daughter is going to school. And because 911 can now hear the gunshots, they lock down the school. And um, I'm watching the police. They turn the wrong way on the road and I'm like on the phone with the 911 operator. Long story short, I get to safety. They find the guy a couple miles down the road a few minutes later. They put me in the back of a cop car. They drive past. They ask me to, to identify him. I identify him. And my body was in shock. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't recognize it immediately because I'm like, I'm telling myself like, oh, I'm fine. Like, you know, a couple deep breaths. I need to take the rest of the day off, go home process and, and I'm fine. But what happened was I, I wasn't fine. And I, I didn't know that I wasn't fine because the next day I tried to like get up and drive to work uh, and I had an hour commute and I could not like I had a panic attack. And I was just like, I just all these things that I had worked so hard over the years to like, you know, to work on. I, I, I couldn't. And, um, and I was in a complete state of shock and I ended up going to the ER at the VA and they tried to put me back on all the meds and I was like, please don't. And uh, so what, what we agreed on was I would go home with three days of lorazepam and I would kind of use it as needed, but I'd get into like the PTSD clinic or I'd get into therapy like immediately and start working. And so I did that and, and but my bot, like the switch was on and it didn't matter what I did. I could not get it off. And so I started looking at ketamine. Um, originally, I was researching NAD therapy. And this, the place that I found, when I talked to them, they were like, you know, we, we really think that you should do ketamine. And I was like, well, I'm sober in recovery. I can't, I can't do ketamine. And like, you know, we talked about it. And they're like, it's not like you're, you're doing this in a therapeutic environment. Like, 
it's not the same thing. It's not like K-hole and, you know, all the typical like drug associations, like they really had to do a lot of explaining to me. And I knew, I knew the benefits of ketamine because I had worked at the VA. I think I told you this earlier, our VA was the first one in the VA system to start using ketamine intravenously. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And so, um, and that was back in 2015, you know, before I got sober. So I knew the benefits of it, but like a, a lot of things, I just wasn't sure it would work for me. So I went and I did ketamine. I did six infusions over um, a two week time period. And there were visuals, but I don't know how to describe the visuals in a way that makes sense other than it felt like the disassociation for me felt like a deep breath. Like finally, it was like my brain was not in this container or my spirit, my soul, like whatever I, whatever I am was no longer in the confines of this container and it felt spacious. Mm-hmm. And I would see like, building blocks of things. And I had a really good playlist um, that had a lot of piano music. And there were moments where I could hear the sound of silence. Like, I know what that sounds like now. Um, And it's ineffable. I can't explain it to people unless they know what that sounds like. But there is a sound in between a note and it's stillness and it's silence, but it's very palpable. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I had that experience. And then um, there was a point where I actually could see what I was feeling, the anger, the anxiousness, um, the fear. It was like sitting in the palm of my hand, but it was me, uh, like a little like action figure small size me like you remember those I don't know how old you are um but if you're as old as I am McDonald's used to give these little like toys like California raisins yeah yeah so I I was like I mean I wasn't a California raisin but I was like that small um and it was like you have anger you have fear but you are not angry you are not scared you just have these things and that was that was very, very pivotal for me. So that was in, that was in the summer of, of that year. And then this was how uh, after the DMT experience. So that was the DMT experience was February. So this was like July, August of that year. And then February of the following year is when I went on my first retreat with the mission within. And I cannot, speak highly enough about the team that they had. Um, I came to the mission within because a, another friend of mine who, again, like Tillman scholars have like, I'm, I'm really lucky that I'm a Tillman scholar because these other scholars who were discovering this work were so willing to share information and help. I got sober because of another Tillman scholar uh, was was the only person in recovery that I had ever met, um, and so they're also like a really big. That foundation is a very big part of my of my story. But um, so this scholar, she reached out to me, and she's like, "Look, I know you struggle, you know, with these things. Do you want to talk about it?" And I just told her like where I was at. Told her like, you know, I've been off meds now for a year, and um, I'm I'm scared because I'm still like 
you know, my, my depression, like everything, I just feel like I can't get my footing because it was, it was really hard getting off pharmaceuticals. Um, and, and I, I, for me, it, it felt harder than, than giving up alcohol or cigarettes. Like it, it was been the hardest thing that I've, I've experienced. And so she was like, well, let me, I want to introduce you to this doctor I know that works with the Mission Within, like just want to do a screening and see what his thoughts are. And I said, okay. And so um, Dr. Martin Polanco uh, ended up calling me and we had a long conversation. I, I cried a lot and um, he said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you. Uh, the nurse and the team and we'll be in touch. And so then um, I was approved. And um, a couple of weeks later, I was on a retreat in Austin, Texas. And it was all females. There were, it was a mix of mainly female veterans. Um, and then a few Navy SEAL wives who were at that retreat. And I'd never been in an instance like that at all. And it my anxiety was through the roof. I was having a really hard time feeling, you know, safe and was just like, you know, wondering like, you know, what am I, what am I doing here? Is this right? And so they worked with me, you know, they, we had a lot of conversations before the, the mushroom ceremony in the morning. So in the morning we prepared and everybody was given uh, the baseline. I don't remember if it was five or five and a half, okay. um, but that was the baseline dose that everybody was given and laid down and and then they came around you know or like about an hour later like booster time and they're like you know how do you feel and i was like i don't feel anything they're like well, would you like to go up a little bit more and i said yes please and so they they gave me another dose and almost immediately music sounded loud and beautiful and i could feel the vibration of the music like coursing through my body and I just was, I was feeling like, you know, love. Oh, let me back up. My preparation coach that I had, we had talked about intention and I, I told her, I just felt like there was this, this darkness inside of me that I couldn't get out, that I couldn't get to. Mm -hmm. um, and that I wanted, I wanted to like see it for what it was and, and get it over, get it out, you know, so that I could like be free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm in the medicine and I am laughing so hard. Like I had seen the mycelium network, but I saw it through all of these women, these powerful women who are on the floor and I can see how like, connected we are and how we were all meant to be there for each other like you know it, it was it was we were the network mm -hmm. and uh two of the girls that were laying next to me we had this weird like telepathic thing and we're all in blindfolds so there's no way we're like looking at each other but we are like we're in it together, the three of us. And it was so much that the facilitators like came over and they're like giggling, but they're like, hey, you guys have like got to keep it down. And we like lift up our blindfolds, like little like little kids. And we're like, oh my gosh, are we being that loud? Like, do you know that we're all my ceiling? Like we're, we're having the same experience and we are so 
in love with ourselves and with each other and just this and the facilitators like they're meditating around us and it's just it's just all these beautiful women who are like you know just being so powerful for each other and and then there's smells coming in and I don't I still you know I remember asking them like did you guys light incense and they're like well yeah earlier but not like at this moment but like the smells are swirling and it's just you know this beautiful thing and so they you know they encourage us like uh to put our masks back on and and to go within and so i go back within and i am in the jungle in india i'm in a valley and i'm on top of an elephant and my partner is walking on the side of the elephant and then i see the goddess kali and i've seen her many times outside of medicine and whenever i would see her i would always look away like oh my god like that's a scary goddess because kali some depictions she's blue some depictions she's black but either way she's got this blood tongue dripping and she's you know she's just she's holding these skulls And I was just always like afraid. And there she is in front of me and she looks at me and she says, look me in the eye. She's like, do not be afraid of me. And I look at her and she's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And she's not about, she is the destroyer, but she's the destroyer of the things that do not serve me. She is also the birth, the creator. And I see her in her perfect balance. And everything felt right. And then I'm I'm out and I'm just, you know, I'm I'm seeing the mycelium again. I'm watching the music tones on the mycelium and then the song comes on by krishna das and it's called for your love and for the majority of the song he's singing you know in sanskrit and i but somehow i know what it means but then i hear him i hear him speak english now i am deep in the medicine and so the, my immediate thought was, oh, my God, I finally understand Sanskrit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am truly having the most mystical, magical experience ever. I can understand Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and so slowly by slowly, the women start to come out. And, um, and not everybody had a pleasant experience. Right. And there was a point where I could feel that some, like I could feel like somebody was not having a good time. They weren't saying anything, they weren't moving, but I could just feel something. And I remember sitting up and looking at her and just tears were rolling down my face. And I looked at the facilitator and I was like, she doesn't know how powerful she is. She doesn't know who she is. And she just kind of like patted me on the back and said, okay, you know, put you, go back inside. And so I was like the last one to like take my blindfold off and um, my roommate and I were laying on our mat and the last woman walked out. And when she did, just like I told you in DMT, that rubber stopper that came out, when she walked out of that room, it felt the same way. 
And there I was once again, writhing, screaming in pain. I mean, so much pain. And I was in the fetal position and all of the facilitators, like everybody is downstairs and the facilitators stayed upstairs. They are now in a circle around me in a meditative position. Their eyes are closed. Some of them are, are chanting or saying mantras, affirmations. I don't know. But I'm writhing in pain. And all I can say is, this isn't mine. This isn't mine. This isn't mine. Hmm. My roommate wrapped her body around me and just was like rubbing my hair and stroking me and, you know, like nurturing me, like kissing me on the back of the head saying, I love you. I love you. Breathe. I love you. I love you. Breathe. I love you. I love you. Breathe. And this went on for a long time. And then finally, when it settled down, um, I just, my, I, my head hurt. It was like the worst headache I had ever had. I felt nauseous. And we were preparing for a sound bath. And I could not be in the room with the rest of the women as they came back into the room. I just, it was, it just felt too, too much. I could not do, I just couldn't do it. And so one of the, one of the girls that was there as a volunteer, like she took me in the bathroom and just like laid down with me so that I could still hear the music, but would, could be away from everybody. And she like talked to me about empathy and she talked to me about like, quote unquote, being an empath. Mm -hmm. And while, although I don't at all denote that people have empath qualities what i can tell you is in that moment and i know it wasn't intentional but in that moment where she essentially had told me that i was an empath and that i would feel people and that i had to like protect myself i went right back into feeling unsafe in my body because now how do i protect myself from everybody like i don't know how other people's emotions are gonna like all this all this stuff you know and and so um, and so the next day was five MEO DMT and what a beautiful, beautiful experience that was. Um, I had three beautiful women. Um, one was a hospice nurse. The other one is a magical redhead. And I would love to say these ladies names, but I don't have their permission. So I won't. Sure. Um, but the, these, if this podcast make their its way to these women like I just have the most special place in my heart for them so we did the handshake um and then they laid me down um when I took my my actual you know dose and they put the eye shades over me they laid me onto this really comfortable like palette and they put a weighted blanket over me and what a game changer a weighted blanket is <laughs> and everything everything faded away everything was beautiful i was a part of the cosmos and then i started breathing in a way that i've i've never breathed before mm -hmm. my i was breathing from my toes all the way up to my crown and it was like an ocean wave, it was very, very rhythmic. And I, I just kept breathing and my body like was stretching out and 
in ways that um, eventually is what led me to yoga um, because my body moved in ways that I had never moved it before because I wasn't practicing yoga at that point in time in my life. Um, Hip opening and, um, and then I had this incredible full body experience uh, that I didn't know that was possible for, uh, for me to have or for a woman to have, or, and, you know, um, I, it was full body mm-hmm. from every part of my soul. And, um, and then I, after that, I laid back down and I once again cried because I could feel my body say, I've always, I've always been here. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude for my body that despite the things that I had done to it over the years, like it was, it was still there and it was still, it was still going. And despite the hatred and everything else, like it was still there keeping me safe. And I was, I was just holding myself and like kissing my hands, hugging myself in the fetal position, but like a hug, like, rubbing my hair and just saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, so that was, that was my first experience really with the combination of the two and, and what I, but what I went home with was a lot of fear about, about empathy and, and being a quote unquote empath. And, and that journey, um, over a course of a couple of years ultimately led me to to breath work like real legitimate holotropic breath work where a woman so lovingly had a conversation with me about empathy and about you know trauma responses and narcissism and all of these things that you know I had told her had like happened in my life like she weaved all the pieces together for me and said you know it would seem as though you've always been sensitive to other people's emotions, but that's, that's a trauma response. You based how you were on other people. And, um, and so she really put that into perspective for me. And she said, you know, what I'm going to challenge you is to think about compassion. That's the highest vibration is compassion to sit with another person without taking from them what they're feeling Mm -hmm. and that quite honestly um has been what i've learned over my work with with different medicines and kind of these these big somatic experiences that that i've had is that i carry a lot of things that weren't meant for me to carry and the work is to get that out of the way so that I can continue the work that I do with others without hurting myself, right. but also without causing harm to others. And so these, these medicines for me, you know, and I, th- I think you and I talked about it through text is like, you know, these are just tools medicine work has not been the, the answer for me. Mm-hmm. It has given me insight into things that I have not otherwise been able to touch. 
um, whether it was through therapy, whether it was, you know, a 12 step program, whether it was just a mindfulness practice, there were still things deep down that I just haven't been able to, to access because I don't, you don't always know what, you don't always know what's there. Mm -hmm. And so I think of them as a tool in the garden of, of what is me. And a shovel alone isn't going to grow a beautiful garden. Sometimes I need those little tiny clippers. Um, I don't even know what they're called, <laughs> but the little, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you need different, you need different things. And so, um, and so I think that that's like the thing that I've, I've learned. And the more we talked about in the first episode, I said, you know, I, I, I heard the message and I wish I would have, I wish I would have known that I got the message. Um, the message has been consistently is you have to go inside yourself, <laughs> Heather. You have to work on you before you can start taking on other people. Because if I continue to take on other people, then I forget how much I love myself and I get lost in how much I love others. And while it's great to love others, I can only give what I have. And if I have no love for myself, then what am I really giving to others? Right. I mean, clearly I've had a lot of time to think and put, all, put this all into perspective. It's been a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so this wasn't like, this wasn't like I got all of this insight, you know, through the very beginning, um, you know, ayahuasca kicked my ass. Um, the one and only, I mean, I've had experiences, you know, I, I'm one of those people that I have to learn through pain and I have to be in an incredible amount of pain. Um, and, and sometimes like, that's what medicine is for me. It's, it's pain. It's a lot of pain so that I can go, Oh, okay. I understand what I'm doing to myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's no growth without discomfort. Like that's, that's time and time again, that comes to me. And I'm glad that you say this, that, you know, each one of these medicines is just one small tool in the toolbox, but you still have to do the work with those tools. And I had a call at fireside yesterday of a kid who was struggling, um, having only had one mushroom experience. And he said, you know, I, I've done all this research and you know, there's people like Steve jobs who said they only did psychedelics once and it changed their whole life. And I, I sat there, I was actually observing this call. I, I didn't take it. And I was like, you know, I don't think that's true. So, but you know, these are the misnomers that are out there that, you know, you just hear in one Google article somewhere and you take it as fact. So I looked it up and did, I do a couple different, you know, research techniques to find it. But the person who interviewed jobs, he said that basically, I think from 72 to 74, he had 10 to 15 LSD experiences. And then during that time frame, he also experimented with other drugs. He didn't say what they were other than cannabis in forms of hashish, brownies, smoked, etc. So it's, it's a bummer that people have this mindset of this magic pill one and done, because that is so far from the truth. I have never met a person who did Ibogaine or ayahuasca or mushrooms or LSD or any of these things once and was perfect. Not, I haven't met anyone and I don't know that it's even possible. So I'm just so grateful that you brought that up. And I mean, it sounds like we've only scratched the surface of your journey and I definitely would love to, we're going to do this again. And I want, I want to hear this ayahuasca one because that's got me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> 
but <laughs> we, we're pretty, uh, what are we, we're at 36 minutes on this one. I think that we kind of captured everything that I, I wanted to with this and super interesting with that. It was mission within because I've always associated them with Mexico and Ibogaine five MEO. I didn't know that they were practicing stateside prior to departing. And so I don't think my understanding is that is no longer the case. My understanding is it is now just strictly Ibogaine and five MEO. Yeah. Um, so I, th there was like, a moment in time, but that certainly doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And and I know that we're running over, but I just wanted, there was one thing that you said that I really just want to, to reiterate is that when I, when I do prep work for people who are going into medicine, one of the things that I ask them is don't Google anything yeah, and don't talk to people who've had experiences because one, no two experiences are the same, but two, when you start creating expectations of what this is going to be, I mean, I, I came to the medicine desperate, like a lot of people do. I'm desperate for something to change and I need help. But when you create expectations around that, oh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. We set, we set ourselves up to be hurt even more. And you have to let go of those expectations and you have to trust that things might get really destabilizing for a little while and things might hurt even more for a little while. Mm -hmm. But you have to trust that you have the tools and the resources inside that perfect little being that you are to make it through. But if you hold on of expectations of what it looks like, then you rob yourself of the joy that you can find at the end or not at the end, but through the journey. And once you've gotten past the pain, mm -hmm. so I just really, um, I really appreciate that you said that. Um, and I appreciate that you were willing to look something up, you know, to, to help somebody like not have um, a false sense of of what's going on because I, I I really see a lot of people come to this medicine with all these grandiose ideas and I just want to hug them and say it's nothing like you can imagine and it's best if you don't mm -hmm. so that was beautiful I couldn't have said it better myself and I feel like our brains have been so synced through just this podcast because questions I was ready to ask you answered and it's like you keep bringing up the things that I want to go to and um, that one particular like that was one of the hardest things about me with this podcast is I, I I want people to listen to other people's stories I love to hear trip reports and that's why I started this but I also don't want people to have that expectation to hear something else and then say oh well if I do 5-MEO this is what I'm going to have or if I do Ibogaine this is what my experience is going to be because you have no idea what your experience is going to be and all of my experiences even if it's the same molecule the same dosage are so different from one to the next and I've said it time and time again you don't get what you want you get what you need and you never know what that is that you need well you your body knows but you your subconscious knows what you need but you likely don't know what you need but you're you're going to get it when you go in there and that's why I love that idea of just just 
surrender all of your expectations, trust the medicine. And it's, that's, I, I love that too. That like for this past year, I've kind of struggled back and forth with the concept of plant medicine, because it's like, if medicine, you take it when something is broken or something is, there's an ailment. And so I've always been like, ah, is this really medicine? Does medicine have too much mm. like, a hippie connotation to it too? So like, oh. I, I found myself going back and forth with like, just psychedelic or molecule or different things. But it's like my past, especially after Egypt with so many encounters with psilocybin, it really brings back to me that whether, whether there's an ailment or not, these are medicines. And it, it, it allowed me to like come full circle on like not feeling weird saying plant medicine anymore, because I mean, even like the podcast I just recorded with a cough suppressant, that is the best definition of medicine. And I still can't explain how perfectly that worked. And I've had multiple people reach out with different ailments saying that when they're under psilocybin, it all goes away. So mm -hmm. that is the best definition of a medicine. I like it. I can't wait to talk again. You yeah. need a longer podcast. That's just it. You just need a longer podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think that this is a great way to close this one. And um, yeah, let's let's figure out a way to, to sync up for the next one. Well, thank you so much for your time. And again, like, just thank you for allowing me to share my experience uh, with you and, and with others. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks again. And for everybody listening, love you guys.